Well, if no one else, we'll get right into our Bible study here. And we are in Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3, beginning to look at the fall of man. Beginning to look at the fall of man. While y'all turning there, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw this out here. I, I always try. It's kind of something I purpose to do is that I never make any comments about how many or how few are at church house. So I just try to stay upbeat, you know, and put out a good spirit, you know. Uh, but I do know that I myself, especially, have noticed over the last few Wednesday nights that there seems to be a pretty discouraged spirit in the congregation on Wednesday nights. And so I just want to say that it is discouraging, especially when you see a church house full on Sunday and then you come on uh, Wednesday night and it seems that, that there's no one here. And it can be discouraging and you can kind of get down in the dumps about, you know, why is nobody here and so forth and so on. And, and believe me, it can be very discouraging to me as well. And uh, so I made a decision with myself uh, recently. I said, uh, I, can't, I can't allow this to get me down. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to keep working and we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep inviting. We're going to keep trying to uh, uh, make sure our services are accomplishing what they need to accomplish. We're going to keep doing all that. But I purposed in my heart that if they don't want a blessing, that's on them. I'm not going to let them steal my blessing by not being here. And so I'm here, I'm going to enjoy being here. And if they want to stay home and not come to church, well, that's on them. I, I wish they would come, and I think it would benefit them to come, but I'm not going to let them steal my blessing. And I know that there has been times when I have came to church and I have allowed the fact that there was a low attendance steal my joy. And I just decided recently, I'm like, that ain't going to happen anymore. If it's just me and one other person, we're going to have a good time, and we're going to go on. And so I just share that with you as a means of encouraging you because I know that it can be discouraging. The devil can definitely use it to discourage us. And we, we look around like, why is nobody here? Well, the Bible tells us a lot of reasons why nobody's here. But we're not going to worry about where they're at tonight. We're just going to enjoy the Word of God. And so take that for what you may. That's just my little word of encouragement to you this evening. So book of Genesis chapter number 3, beginning to look at the fall of man. And I really believe as you read through the Word of God, if you start on page 1, Genesis 1, and you begin to read through the Word of God, and you come to chapter number 3, it has got to be one of the saddest portions of Scripture in the Bible. Because all of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2 is nothing but perfection, nothing but glory, nothing but bliss. I mean, it's almost like you're reading about... Uh, when we get in Revelation and we read about heaven. I mean, it is just amazing. And then you come to chapter number 3, and it's like somebody took and drew a big black mark right through your beautiful picture. It's got to be one of the saddest passages in the Word of God, the record of a perfect man in a perfect environment, in a perfect relationship with God, choosing to pursue his own gratification to the ruin of everything that God had created. I'm telling you what, it is a tragic passage of Scripture. And the rest of the Bible, from Genesis chapter number 3 throughout the rest of the Bible, is written to take care of what happened in chapter number 3. Had Adam and Eve not sinned, the rest of the Bible would read very differently. I was actually meditating on it today. It's like, what if there had been a need to write a Bible? 
but just let's say that, there, that we did anyway, write a Bible. Adam and Eve had never sinned, and we went ahead and wrote the Bible. It would be a record of man's blissful, eternal interaction with God. Can you imagine what a book that would be? But because of chapter 3, the entire rest of the Bible is written about what are we going to do about what happened in chapter number 3. The entire rest of the Bible was written to take care of that. Adam sinned. And here in Genesis 3, we have the record of this turn of events when man chose to listen to the deceptive lies of the devil, yield to his own fleshly desires. And because of that, we have a record of the perfection that God created coming to a tragic halt. Here in this passage, we have not only the record of man's first sin, but we also have a description of Satan's tactics and the methods that he used then and the methods that he still used to prey on the weakness of men to bring men to a place where they will disobey God. And so uh, we're going to look at this this evening. And in looking at it, we're going to look at this account of what happened with Adam and Eve. But we're also going to look at a pattern of what the devil did then and look at how he still uses it today and how these things that he used then are still the reason that men fail today, and I believe there's much to be learned from this. And so we're going to look in Genesis chapter number 3. We're just going to be looking at verse 1 down through verse number 6 this evening. The Bible says that now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your house. Thank you, Lord, for those who, who value you and your word enough that, Lord, they come out to your house on Wednesday night. And, Lord, they, they set aside, <clears throat> Lord, what they want to do. Uh, Lord, they deny their flesh and its desire to stay home. And, uh, Lord, they, uh, they rush through their dinner and they rush to get dressed, Lord, so that they can be at your house. And, Lord, I thank you for each and every one of them. I thank you for their desire to be here, Lord. I thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for... Uh, the opportunity that we have, Lord, to come together and to look at your word. And Father, I thank you for it. I pray for, uh, Lord, I know later we're going to pray over these prayer requests on the, that was shared tonight, but Lord, I pray that you will meet each of these needs and work in the lives of each of these people. Father, I pray. And uh, Lord, I think especially of Miss Debbie, uh, Lord, uh, having test run even uh, as we're having service. And think of Miss Elizabeth, Lord, as she's uh, in much pain from just having her toes broke. Lord, I pray that you'll uh, be with those, Lord, that would be here if it were not for uh, these things that uh, came up, Lord, I pray that you'll be with them. Father, I pray you bless now as we look at your word. I pray to Lord that we'll be encouraged and Lord that we'll learn from it. And Father, Lord, that we'll be able to take it home with us. And Father, Lord, that we will grow as Christians. And Father, we'll thank you for it. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, you never can get enough of the word of God. 
As I was praying and I was talking about those of you who are faithful to come, you just can't get enough. It's not like you'll ever learn enough. Uh, myself, uh, so I, I, I have my own personal devotion, and as I've shared with you, I'm doing my best to read the Bible through multiple times a year, and so that requires a good bit of reading just on my own. Uh, then I'm doing Bible college, and there's a good bit of homework goes with that, so I do my homework reading for that. And then I prepare sermons for Wednesday night and for Sunday, and many times I'm preparing sermons weeks out in advance, and so I'm doing reading and things on sermons I'm preparing weeks out, uh, trying to stay up. And so on a daily basis, I take in a lot of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that braggadociously or to make you feel bad. It's my job. I get paid to do it. And I thank the Lord that that's my job and I get paid to do it. But the application I want to make is I take in a lot of Bible nearly every day of my life. And you know what? Every time I open it, I find stuff. Every time I open it, I find truths and treasures and lessons and helps. Those that think that they can get all the Jesus they need once a week or once a month, they missing out on a lot that the Word of God has to offer. Boy, I tell you what, it is just full. And what I have discovered is the more I get into it, the more I want to be into it, the more I want of it. So I don't know where that came from. This is getting to be a bad habit of mine, just through all this off-the-cuff preaching. But anyway, I'm telling you what, you just can't get enough of the Word of God. Here in chapter number 3, we read of the fall of man. In this chapter, we see both the subtlety and the success of Satan in his temptation of Adam and Eve. Next week, uh, we're, we're going to be looking at the success and also there was some failures that Satan didn't anticipate. We'll be looking at those next week in the remainder of the chapter. But tonight, I want to focus on his subtlety or the tactics uh, that he used to bring about uh, and expedite the fall of Adam and Eve. Now, I say that he expedited their fall. Uh, you say, well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I, what I mean by that is the devil did not make Adam and Eve sin. I really believe had the devil not been there, Adam and Eve would have found the tree of the knowledge and good and evil on their own. Their own fleshly desires could have still led them to desire the tree and to want to take of the tree. As you'll see when we look in a little while, all Satan did was present it and bring Eve's attention to it. It was Eve's desires that caused her to take of the fruit. And so I say that the devil expedited uh, what was most likely going to happen. And the same is true in our lives. Uh, many times uh, we see that all children at some point in their life uh, will make the decision to sin against God. But we've also seen folks who were in uh, situations where those decisions were expedited. Uh, we know folks who uh, go uh, much up into their teen or even adult years before they get in involved in any type of terrible sin. Others are involved in terrible sin at a very early age and the devil expedites these things. And so what do we gain from this little tidbit right here? This is why it's important that we protect our children and protect ourselves from the temptation of the devil because some of those children uh, who were protected from the temptation of the devil and saved from any time, type of major sin accepted Christ as their Savior before they ever committed any type of terrible sin uh, and then the Holy Spirit moved on the inside and they had the Holy Spirit as a defense and they are able to go through life without ever experiencing some of the effects that come from sin. Those that are left to themselves 
many times will find themselves in terrible sin because the devil will expedite that sin and bring it to their attention. So we see here that the man chose to disregard the word of God but the devil did expedite it. The devil did tempt him. The devil did bring it to his attention. And so we see here uh, this evening, we're going to be looking at the subtlety of the serpent. Now the first three words of Genesis chapter number 3, I think there's a whole sermon could be preached on these three words. The first three words says, Now the serpent. These three words stand out to me as a solemn reminder of the danger of dabbling in the devil's playground or allowing the devil to peddle his goods in our homes and in our lives. In chapter number 2, we read of a perfect creation. In chapter number 3, we read the words, Now the serpent. In chapter number 2, we have a perfect environment, but in chapter number 3, we have the words, Now the the serpent. In chapter number two, we have a perfect man. But in chapter number three, the words now, the serpent. And we have a perfect woman in chapter number two. Chapter number three, now, the serpent. We have a perfect home in chapter number two. But now, the serpent. Uh, we have a perfect marriage. But now, the serpent. Boy, I'm telling you what, I believe this three words right here is a clear warning that we need to beware of the serpent. Uh, beware of the devil. Beware of his tactics. Beware of allowing him into our life. Beware of how he sneaks into our life. There's a, a passage of scripture in one of the prophets. I'm not remembering. Maybe one of you Bible scholars can remind me the text, but it's in one of the prophets. It says that you ran from the lion, you ran from the bear, but when he came into his home, the serpent bit him. You know what? Many times the devil, as a serpent, will find his way into the nooks and crannies of our home and our life, and he will ruin a good thing. We run from the obvious. We run from the lion and we run from the bear, but beware of the serpent. So let's look at some of the tactics of the serpent. First we see the process of temptation. The process of temptation. Satan has always used the same techniques when presenting men with the decision to disobey God. The devil never begins by straight up stating that he wants us to disobey God. That's never how he begins, but instead the devil will often offer us a means of obtaining something we would like to have. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like this, but in many instances a temptation is many times a, a, a way to get something good in a bad way. You say, what do you mean? Well, getting all straight A's on my test is a good thing. But if I cheat to get the straight A's, it's not a good thing. I am tempted to cheat in order to accomplish a good thing through a bad way. It's a good thing to pay my bills, but if I rob Brother Ted in order to pay my bills, this is not a good thing. But many times temptation is a way you could take it to the little kid in the cookie jar. That's a classic example, you know. The little kid is just trying to satisfy his hunger. This is a good thing. But to rob the cookie jar is a bad thing. And many times temptation, the devil presents it as, I want to help you accomplish something good. I want to help you get something that you need. I want to help you achieve something that you want. So let me show you how to do it. Let me show you how to accomplish this. Uh, and so we see the process of his temptation. The devil simply presented Eve with an easy way she could get something that she already wanted. 
Eve naturally desired to know more. Eve naturally had a desire to have a better understanding of the world that she was in that she knew so little about. And the devil said, he didn't say, Eve, I want you to disobey God. The devil said, Eve, let me show you an easy way how you can know a whole lot more. This is often the way that the devil will present things. He never stated that she would have to disobey God for this to work, but instead... He began by causing her to doubt. And that'll be your letter A there. He begins with doubt. In Genesis 3 and verse number 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The devil asked Eve what appeared to be an honest question. He says, Hey, been hearing some rumors, some things floating around. Isn't that interesting? Two people and one devil, and rumors are already floating. He said, uh, been hearing some rumors, some things floating around. I heard that God said that you couldn't eat of any of these trees. Is, uh, Eve, is that true? It appeared to be an honest question. What appeared to be an honest question was intentionally intended to create doubt in Eve's mind concerning what God had said. And we'll show you how this created doubt. First of all, this seemingly harmless question that the devil asked uh, challenged the authorship of God's Word. It challenged the authorship of God's Word with the words, Hath God said? Satan raised a question as to whether or not this really came from God. And boys, we go through this. There is a ton of applications that I would love to make to how this is still going on in our current world. And I really just had to stop putting illustrations in and take them out because I'm like, we ain't going to get through point one if we make all these applications. So I'm asking you to make these applications in your mind because it's really pretty obvious uh, how this works. That The devil said, has God really said this. You know what? Many times the devil can cause doubt in our minds by causing us to ask the question whenever a preacher preaches or whenever we read something in the Word of God or whenever we've been taught a principle in our life, the devil will come along and say, Did, but, but is that what God really wants? Is that really from God? You know, when we read in chapter number 2, it does appear that God gave this command to Adam and Adam passed it along to Eve. Now, we don't know exactly what all happened on the sixth day, how all this went about. It is possible that Eve and Adam could have been together, but it appears that the command was given to Adam and then Adam transferred it to Eve. And so it could be that the devil's saying, did God say this or is this coming from Adam? In other words, the devil could say, is that from God or is that just from the preacher? Is that from God? Are you sure this is what God wants? He challenged the authorship, uh, hath God said. And by questioning the authorship of God's Word, Satan also challenged the authority of God's Word. By questioning whether or not it came from God, he was very easily bringing about the thought, well, if God didn't say it, does it even matter? If God, it, wait a minute, I, I've been living here in the garden thinking that God said I couldn't eat of the tree, but if God didn't say it, then all of a sudden what I've been living by has no authority in my life anymore. Those who put question on this book and say we really don't know if God wrote this or not, this could have been written by man, this could be compiled by somebody just trying to convince you of their crazy beliefs, all of a sudden, when I question whether or not God wrote the book, I wonder if anything in the book 
applies to me. And so we see that the devil challenged the authority of God's Word. But then he further planted the seeds of doubt when he challenged the accuracy of God's Word. So he started off by saying, half God said, questioning the authority and the authorship. But then he challenged the accuracy of God's Word. Now if you read what the devil said, he said, "...ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden." Now this is nowhere close to what God said. Not even close. The devil blatantly, purposefully misquoted God. He said, here's what I've been hearing that God said. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. By misquoting what God had said, the devil made what God had said seem absurd. Now, I'm sure you have seen this happen before. Folks will say, I hear that if you go to that church, you're not allowed to do this and this and this and this. And it's absurd. No church would require that. But all of a sudden, you start thinking to yourself, well, that is kind of far out, isn't it? Do, is that what we teach at our church? Is that what we believe? The devil made an absurd misquotation of what God had said. And by doing so, he began to make God's law seem absurd. It's as if he said to Eve, Wow, Eve, how are you surviving if God won't let you eat any of the fruit? Wow, Eve, I can't imagine. How, how are you and Adam staying alive? Now, Eve knew that this wasn't what God had said. But the devil still managed to make what God said look as if it was not rational. Like, th this can't apply. This doesn't work. And by doing that, by challenging the accuracy, he challenged the application of God's Word. Although he was misquoting the Word of God, the seeds he was planting were strong. In essence, he was saying, Eve, this is impractical. Uh, who can live like this? Why would God require something of this? This makes no sense at all. Eve, there's no way you can apply this to your life. Eve, this doesn't work. And boy, I'm telling you what, we see many times, many examples when people will take and misquote or misapply the Word of God and they will say to a Christian, how can you live like this? How does this even work? The devil misquoted the Word of God. And then he proceeded to attack and tear down the application of what God said. But then he also challenged the acceptability of God's Word. After he had tore God's Word down, he said here, Eve, are you going to do this? Eve, God doesn't want you to eat of any fruit. Are, are you going to actually do this? The preacher wants you to come to the revival meeting every night this week. Are you going to do that? Oh, my goodness. He's like, Eve, are you going to do this? Are you accepting this? Uh, I don't see how you could do it. This is a far-out request. Eve, this just seems impossible. The devil effectively misrepresented, attacked it, and cast doubt on the Word of God. And although Eve realized, and we'll see here in the next two verses, that Eve realized he misquoted the Word of God, her response reveals that his tactic worked. Eve realized he misquoted. Eve knew that wasn't what God said. But his tactic worked because when she answered with what God had said, the devil had already caused her to misrepresent and misquote what God had actually said. We see that Eve said in 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. 
You're, you're wrong, devil. We, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Here we see in Eve's response that she left out some things, she added some things, and she changed some things. The devil had effectively caused Eve to forget what God had said and state it differently. Let me show you what she did. First we see that Eve left out that God had said they could freely eat. In other words, they could eat as much as they wanted. They had plenty. The devil was saying, you don't have any. Eve could have responded, we have plenty. There is no limit to what we can eat. But instead she said, no, no, we're, we're allowed to eat. In essence, downplaying what God had said. But then it says that she also added that they couldn't touch the fruit of the tree, which God had never said. She said, we, we can eat, but we cannot touch or eat of that tree. But then catch this. She softened the death penalty. God had said in the day that you eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Eve said, we can't eat of it or touch it lest we die. She took away the strength of God's statement, almost making it seem as if there's a possibility we will die if we eat of the tree. And this is important that you catch this. The devil had successfully planted doubt in her mind. Uh, seeing she was falling for his ploy, he then stepped his temptation up a notch. And so he, he throwed some doubt. She answered, and by her answer, he knew. She's bought into it. I can now step it up a notch. I can get a little bolder in my approach, uh, and I can push this a little farther. And this is the same thing that the devil still does today. He starts gentle. When he sees that you're biting, he pours it on a little thicker. And we see here that he made a bold denial. He started with doubt, but then he made a bold denial. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now this is important. I'm going to try to read ahead and then I'll come back to this. But I'm going to, I'm going to point it out. Eve said, Neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Softening what God had said, making it seem like the death was a possibility, and the devil answered. He didn't even talk about not being able to eat of the fruit of the tree anymore. He answered, ye shall not surely die. We'll come back to that. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Here in Satan's answer, I see that he denied the truth of God's word. God had said that they would die. Satan said, you will not die. He cashed in on the area of God's word that Eve had a problem with. The thing about that tree that bothered Eve was if she ate of it, she would die. The tree was appealing. It was good to look at. It was a nice tree, but if she eats of it, she would die. And that bothered her. So whenever the devil said, what did God say? And she responded by softening the death penalty. The devil knew this is of the part of God's law that Eve has a problem with. You see, when he first showed up, he didn't know where Eve was weak at. And so he started by saying, I've heard you can't eat of any of these trees. He was just trying to get Eve talking so Eve would reveal where she was weak. 
Eve responded and she softened the death penalty and the devil said, this is what's bothering her about what God said and so I'm going to cash in on it. Eve, you won't die. Now Eve knew that wasn't true. But Eve believed it because it was what she wanted to hear. Now there's a whole sermon right here. There are many, many people who know what the Bible says, but there's parts of it they don't like. And whenever they find somebody that agrees with them and says that's not what the Bible means, although they know what the Bible says, they will leave and disobey what the Word of God says because somebody told them that's not what it means. Eve knew that God said, you will surely die. But she didn't want that to be true. And the devil said, you won't die. And Eve believed it because it's what she wanted to hear. And like I said, we could just preach all night right there. But we've got to keep moving here. We see that the devil, the devil said, you shall not die. You know, there's plenty of religions that have been built simply on this tactic. They find out what people don't like about the Word of God and they change their message and tell people what they want to hear and they start entire religions telling people what they want to hear. Satan knew that if he started with an outright denial of God's Word that Eve would have ran. So he tested the water, he found where she was weak and he cashed in on her. This is why we don't have conversations with the devil. This is why we don't entertain the devil. This is why we don't uh, have anything to do with him. Now, I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And as long as I'm relying on God, the devil is not a threat to me. As long as I'm depending on God, uh, the devil can't stop me, hinder me. God can overthrow him. I got that. But if I'm not relying on God and I decide to have a conversation with the devil, or I decide to dabble in some of the things that he promotes and he pushes, puts out, he's going to find out where I'm weak at, and he's going to cash in on it. He's going to find out, and he is going to try to deal a death blow. The devil knew that to start with outright denial would have been risky, but now he can play this hand without any worry at all because telling her she won't die is exactly what she wanted to hear. In addition to denying the truth of God's Word, he also denied the intention of God's Word. He denied the intention of God's Word. God had said that His law was for man's benefit. God had said that, uh, you know, don't eat of the tree and this is for, for your benefit. The devil denied that and he said that the reason God didn't want people to eat of the tree was because God was selfish and insecure. And God knew that if they ate of it, they would be as great as he was. The devil said, this isn't for your benefit. God didn't say that to protect you. He said that to protect him. And you know what? There's many times that people will misrepresent this book. This whole book is written for our benefit. And I guarantee you, if you live your life according to this book, you will have the best life that can be lived on this earth. But the devil comes along and says, oh, no, no, all those laws in there, that's just because God is selfish and God just wants all these people uh, pointing at Him and praising Him and He's self-centered and, and He wants self-gratification and, and He's just seeking His own benefit and you just need to ignore those laws and live for yourself. The devil denies 
the intention of this book. And he denied the intention of God there in the garden. We know for a fact that God made that law for the benefit of Adam and Eve. But the devil denied God's intention. And it's still a common tactic that he employs today. The last thing that we see concerning this process of temptation is in the first phrase of verse number 6. And when the woman saw, she believed the delusion. She believed the delusion. Satan had twisted God's word. He had misrepresented God. He had told her what she wanted to hear, and she believed him. And when she believed him, she looked at the tree differently than she had ever looked at it before. You know what? I've known many a Christian young person who was brought up with good parents. And as a young person, as a, as a preteen, as a young teen, someone would offer them something, maybe offer them a cigarette or offer them some chewing tobacco or try to get them to do a little something. They'd be like, no, 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 not doing that. No, not going there. Not, no. And then along would come some smooth talker. i say, well, it's not going to hurt you. What, did your daddy tell you that it caused cancer? It don't cause cancer. My grandpa's 93 years old. He don't have cancer. He smoked since he was three. Now, we know all that's a lie, but that's what they tell them. It's just, it's, no, no, go ahead. And they, the peer pressure, they want to be cool anyway. Somebody tells them what they want to hear, and all of a sudden they see it differently than they ever seen it before. While they were believing what dad had told them, they were saying no. But when they believed the delusion, they saw it differently. This isn't going to cause problems. This is going to make me cool. And they begin to head down the wrong path. Eve, saw, Eve believed the devil's delusion, and she saw the tree differently. There's three things that I got here for you. She listened to what the devil had to say. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We do well not to listen to the devil and those that promote his ways. But she listened. After she listened, she looked to see what it was he was telling her about. And after she looked, she lusted. She desired it. She wanted it. She listened, she looked, and she lusted. Here in the remainder of verse number 6, we see the practice of sin. We saw the process of temptation. Here in the remainder of verse number 6, we see the practice of sin. In verse number 6 it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. I see four steps into sin taking place here in verse number 6 that I believe give us a pattern for the process of sin in any person's life. First, we see the consideration 
of the sin. We see Eve considering the sin, which is what we've just seen up here. She listened, she looked, and she lost it. She considered the sin. What the devil wants to do is turn that look into lust. He wants to get you considering what it is he has to offer. And if you look at it long enough, you will begin to desire it. You will begin to want it. Now, myself, I'm a, I'm a pocket knife guy. I like pocket knives. I, was, I carried a pocket knife uh, before I was allowed to open one. My dad gave me a pocket knife as soon as I had jeans with pockets in them, and I just wasn't allowed to open it. Then I got a little older. He taught me how to handle my knife safely. It's a wonder I have any fingers left. I cut them up so many times as a kid. But I love pocket knives. I've always loved pocket knives. My favorite kind of pocket knife, though, when I was 11 years old, my dad bought me a, a case of Boy Scout camp knife. I believe, Brother Harry, you have one very similar to my first knife that you've let me borrow. Dad bought it for me as 11. I carried that knife until my early 20s and wore it completely out. I still have it, but springs are all loose in it and everything. But because I carried it so long, they became my favorite style of knife. And I have a, a small collection of uh, vintage uh, camp knives that I'll, I'll pick them up at flea markets and yard sales if I can find them cheap and got a small collection of them. It's what I love to carry. But the one that I got to where I carried in my pocket quite a bit was a Swiss Army knife. And had not near the quality as some of these vintage knives I got, uh, but it had tweezers on it and them tweezers, you know, right handy to have. And I got to where I started looking at Swiss Army knives, looking at what they made and what kind of products they had. And they had one that was called the Pioneer X Alox. Very pricey knife. It was about a $55 knife. And I'm like, I'm not going to pay that much for a knife. I got all kinds of pocket knives. I'm not going to pay $55 for a knife. And so I, did, I didn't. But we have catalogs from Smoky Mountain Knife Works come, you know. And I get flipping through there and I find myself looking at that Pioneer X again. I'm like, man, that's a good looking knife. Man, I like it. I think it'd be a good knife. I like that knife. I've been looking at these knives for a couple years now. And I got a Cabela's gift card. And you know what's in my pocket tonight? <laughs> I got a Pioneer X, A-Logs. Somebody else bought it for me. But you know what happened? I looked at it, and it is a really nice knife. I, I don't know if it's worth $55, but it's a nice knife. But I looked at it. Before, I never even considered it. I was happy with what I had, but I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I looked at it, and eventually the look turned into a desire. And after a while, I bought the pocket knife. Now, there's no sin in buying a pocket knife. I'm sure I'll probably buy another one if I go to any flea markets or anything. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is the devil tries to get you looking. And once he can get you looking, he's won the battle. Because you look long enough, you're going to start desiring. So we see first step is the consideration. The second step is the participation. He turns that desire into a decision. He turns that desire into a decision. I had had that Cabela's gift card for, I don't know, three or four months. And it had been laying on my nightstand. And one night I was sitting in bed and Melissa was getting ready for bed. And I had my phone out and I was looking at these knives and I said you know what I got that card and I looked up at Melissa and I said you know what I'm going to take this card and buy that knife I've been wanting the participation 
If he can get you looking, he can get you wanting, it's not going to be much longer before you participate in the sin. You reach out the hand, you take a hold of the fruit, you are participating. Now, when, whenever Eve took of the fruit, although she said she couldn't touch it, that wasn't part of the law. She had not eaten of it yet. But once you take a hold of it, it's over with. And the next step we see is the violation. The violation. We see the participation. We turn that desire into a decision, but when we come to the violation, we turn the choice into a chain. Sin is not a take it or leave it kind of choice. Once someone makes the decision to violate the law of God, that choice becomes a chain. And they become bound by the power of sin. They become a slave to their desires. They become a recipient of the repercussions of their choices. They find themselves in a place of constant craving and elusive satisfaction. Chained to the relentless pursuit of their own self-gratification. The choice becomes a chain. And this is what you'll see happen in the life of anybody. They consider it, they participate in it, they violate the law of God, and they become chained to, their, to the power of sin. But then we see the last step. For some reason, we don't like to sin alone. We like somebody to be with us. We want a partner in crime. Maybe it's because the fact that they're not doing it makes us feel guilty. Maybe it's because... We want them to be included in what's going on. But we see that the last step is persuasion. This is the last thing the devil wants to accomplish. He wants to turn the sinner into a seducer. You know, if you read the account, you'll find out that the devil didn't tempt Adam. Eve did. He turned the sinner into a seducer. This is the path that the devil wants everyone to take. He wants to get you to a point where now you are persuading others to sin. The devil can go on somewhere else. He can trip somebody else up because you are doing his work for him now. You are persuading others to take part in the sin that you have started. This is the path that sin will always follow. Consideration, participation, violation, and persuasion. Next week we're going to look at the remainder of chapter number 3. And we're going to consider both the successes and the failures of Satan's temptation. And I believe that you will see that although it appears Satan won in chapter number 3, he didn't win. And the end of the story is already written. And there's coming a day when we will be victorious over him. Boy, I tell you what, I look forward to that day. Hopefully this little exposition of verse 1 to 6 has been an encouragement to you and a blessing to you. I tell you, there's much there, much we can learn, many warnings we can apply to ourselves. Don't, don't take part in anything the devil